Praise the Lord. Well, this morning we are starting the new church season. If you're familiar with the church calendar, this is the first day of the church calendar. And so the first day of Advent certainly marks the first day of the church calendar. And this is usually when we might have some purple, and it signifies that the King is coming. And so we lit the first candle to remind ourselves that the King is coming, and He's coming again, and it's to bring us the hope that we have. Uh, we will realize the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 21. And this is one of those passages this morning that I think is quite a challenge to communicate just because it's, it's so hard to jump in to the middle of the ending of a book. Does that make sense? Have you ever tried to do that, just read a book and, and you decide, I'm just going to read the end of the book and um, try to figure out, and then you try to figure out if the book was good or not, and then you start thinking, well, maybe I better go back and read it. This is literally what's happening. This is what's happening in, in the time of Jesus and so this morning, I want to talk to you about being prepared for Christ's return. And this is one of those messages that sometimes I tell you all, I'm really not a doomsday preacher, but here lately, I feel that that's happening somewhat, and I want to remind you all that Jesus has grace for you and I. I want to make sure that at the outset of this, you all understand that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you surrender your life to him, he will save you. Y'all understand what I'm saying, right? He will save you. He has grace. He wants to give you. He doesn't reluctantly give it to us, but he wants to give you grace. The only thing that stops him from giving us grace is usually the fact that we don't want it. You know what I'm saying? So this morning, if you hear nothing else, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is not done with you. You have not sinned to the point that you cannot be saved. You have not done anything that he doesn't want to have a relationship with you. I want you to know he wants to have a relationship with you. The fact that he has one with me should be testimony to you that he will have a relationship with anyone, right? So with that said, I just want to start talking a little bit about this passage. This is quite a passage, and this is our fourth scripture that we read in our Advent passages this morning. Um, this is something that th this week when I was reading through this, I thought to myself, there's just no way to communicate literally what everybody needs to know that Jesus is saying in this passage. Because we haven't been going through this book together, it's so hard to explain. And I think that what makes it so much harder to explain is that you and I are living in a time right now where I wonder sometimes if we Christians and we preachers are doing well enough to communicate what people need to know. I mean, have you noticed we are living in a time right now where people are easily offended by anything you and I might say to them, right? I mean, it's so easy to create an offense. There are conversations that I'll have with somebody that I will replay in my head and I'll think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. So the next time I talk with somebody, I usually start saying, I start saying stuff like, well, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't mean, I start going down this list. I want to make sure that everybody understands I'm not going uh, to be offending them on purpose or anything like that. I want to make sure 
that I make no enemies. Does that make sense to you? I want to go down the list. I didn't mean this like the way you might be taking it, and I certainly don't mean it the way somebody else may be taking it. And the list just goes on. And it's because we're living in this time where people are so easily offended. And I think that what stands out to me is that in the church, it seems like that many of the spiritual conversations that I have in church world, if you will, is that many people are more concerned about making sure that we are not ruffling the feathers of people in the world. I, this is just the impression I'm getting. Because the conversations I have, they usually center on how we Christians continually do wrong, we do wrong, we do wrong, we do wrong. And, you know, at some point, we all have to understand that if we communicate the truth of Jesus Christ to the world, the world is not going to like it. You all understand what I'm saying? If we're going to follow Jesus Christ, it's very difficult for us not to say something at some point that is going to make somebody upset at us. And I'm here to tell you this morning, as long as you're biblically accurate, that's okay. You know, I have people who tell me that they love Jesus and that they are waiting for him to return, right? They tell me this. As soon as they find out I'm a pastor, there's usually a list that people will go down and share with me about what they believe about Jesus immediately when they find this out. And what they'll a lot of times tell me is that, well, I don't go to church, but I'm awaiting. I know I'm saved, all this stuff. And we've been talking about this for a while. You do need to be in church. You really need to be in church. I'm not saying the Lord is going to cast you out or anything like that. But certainly in church means that you are standing up to be counted at the very least with God's people. Now, I've told you in the past, the world hates you, but Jesus said that's okay because the world hated him first. Remember that? So if I'm a Christian and I'm following Jesus and I'm trying to take on his likeness and I'm trying to serve him, the world is probably not going to like me or you if you are too. Y'all understand what I'm saying? But what I'm finding is very often we are talking about things that maybe Jesus aren't, isn't really concerned about in churches today and in our private conversations. I think that we have a tough time really teaching people how important it is to be prepared for Jesus' return. I mean, if there's one message that people need to know, right, wouldn't it be that if there is a time that's coming, that it will be the end of all that is in existence, should they not become aware of it if we know this, right? And here's the thing, it's an unpopular thing. And in fact, even though I'm standing inside a church this morning, and I'm talking about the return of Jesus Christ, would you believe if I told you I feel awkward talking to you about that? That in itself tells us that it is because we are starting to drift away from the main things, right? We start to drift. That in itself that I would feel awkward to speak like this means that something's happened with, well, in, among Christians 
that we are no longer talking about these things. I would even submit to the point of saying that most of the time, we are trying to tell believers with our advice and our sermonizing how to get the Lord to give you what you want in this world. That's what I think is going on. And we just sang that song, Our Father. Oh, it's obviously the Lord's Prayer, right? But we know in the Lord's Prayer, it's not my will, but his will be done, right? You all see where we start to get off a little bit. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about being prepared. And if you will, just really track along with me for a second, because I, this, is, this is good. This is really good stuff. I, I mean... What, what Jesus is teaching in the book of Luke right now, it's just phenomenal. And, and what makes it phenomenal is that it's good news. It's good news for the least of these. It's good news for the foreigner. It's good news for the widow and the orphan. It's good news for the Gentile, because this is who book, the book of Luke is being written to. It's good news that the God of the universe wants to have a relationship with all of us, we all have an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is good news. And so what Jesus is doing, if you'll just bear with me, if I know you can't see it, just makes me feel better to show you my Bible. I don't know why, but it makes me feel like I'm doing something while I'm trying to explain this. But if you will just take a look at your Bible, if you have it with you, and you look at chapter 19, this is when Jesus is really starting to come into Jerusalem, really. This is really the setup for it, because in the book of Luke, what's happening is Jesus is setting his face to Jerusalem. And what we know about Jerusalem, that if you've learned any time or spent any time in Sunday school, you know that Jerusalem is the center of all of Judaism. It is, it is the home of the presence of God. It is where the word of God is being supposedly taught. And if it is being taught, it supposedly it's being taught correctly, right? Jerusalem is, if I'm somebody who is a pilgrim, who is someone like, say, a Jew who's trying to come back to Jerusalem before, and, and present myself, you had to do it three times a year, Jerusalem is when I see it, I'm going to say, this is where the presence of God is. Kind of like what we do with churches, isn't it? Uh, at least used to when I was a kid, I would say the presence of God is in that building. And I would just look at it as I'd ride by while my mom was driving. It was just crazy how we thought. But I, I mean, I didn't understand that, like we learned, it's among us. His presence is among us. But if you take a look at 19, you see a couple things. And if you have a Bible that has titles in it, this is what's happening. Jesus is Going to save the tax collector, one of the most hated people in the world, right? The tax collector. He saves the tax collector. Then we get into a parable of the ten minas. Then we come down to where Jesus comes to Jerusalem as the king. And in what he does, he comes to the temple. And in the temple, he sees things are not going the way they should be going. What's happened in the temple where the presence of God is, the people are buying and selling things. They are focused on making sure that the priests who have this racket of saying, well, this is the right animal, right? 
you're at their mercy when you bring a sacrifice. It better be right. So you have to have the right amount of money. All of this stuff is happening. Plus, you have to be changing um, your money that had Caesar's image, which we'll talk about. You had to change that to get money without an image on it because they're so concerned about presenting the truth to the people, right? Well, it's really a power trip. We'll see that in a second. And so what happens is he goes in, he turns over the money changers, he turns over their tables. This isn't going to happen in my house, he says. This is, this is God's house. It shall be a house of prayer. The chief priests, they ask him a question. By what authority do you do this? Now, I'm going to just paraphrase like crazy here, but you can read it for yourself. What gives you the right to come into this house and turn these tables over, right? And Jesus says, let me ask you a question. John the Baptist, was his work from heaven or was it man-made? And so this is interesting. The chief priests start talking amongst themselves because, you know, they're so perfect, right? They're so perfect. They start talking amongst themselves. They said, you know, if we say that that is man-made, because he's really not part of us, John the Baptist is really outside of us, but if we say it's man-made, the people will stone us because they loved him so much, the work he was doing. But if we say it was from heaven, then Jesus is going to trap us, and he's going to say, then why didn't you believe him? So two things that we should see there is the message of John and the message of the chief priests are radically different. They're radically different. And what's happening is the chief priests are more concerned about what the people think than what God is. Did y'all pick up on that? They're concerned about what the people that they lord over think of them instead of what God says or thinks of them. And then they go on and Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story. It's the parable of the tenants. And in the parable of the tenants, what Jesus does is he says, look, there was this owner who had this vineyard, and in this vineyard was a bunch of tenants that he rented the vineyard to. It wasn't theirs, but they stewarded it, right? One of those fancy Christian terms that says they managed the vineyard. And so what happened is that the owners decided about harvest time, I'm going to send some servants to that vineyard to get a little bit of the fruit. It's his after all, right? But the, they, they didn't receive his servants. They beat them, and then they killed some of them. Well, Jesus is clearly talking about the prophets in the Old Testament, where God would try to get Jerusalem's attention. And then in the owner, who is the father, right? The owner says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will receive him. But you know what they do? They see him coming and they talk amongst themselves. They know who he is. Do you all pick up on that? They know who the son is. He is the son of the owner and in fact, all of the vineyard is his. And so, what they do, the people who rented the vineyard, they say, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Because if we kill him, the inheritance will be ours, right? It's going to be ours. 
And so then Jesus goes on and he says, when they are trying to trap him some more, they said, Jesus, the chief priest now, after he tells them the parable, they know who he's talking about. They know he's talking about them. And they said, hey, Jesus, is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar? Because you're not supposed to, right? Jesus said, take out a coin. Whose image is on that coin? They said, Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Because Jesus now, by his authority, who is really actually judging Jerusalem, because they know all about God, right? They know all about God. His presence is there. It's what they say. And so then they should know that the only thing that matters to God is not money or things of this world. It is the people who are created in the image of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, give all that nonsense to someone who wants to be leader of the world. But if you want to follow your heavenly father, give to him what is his, and that's you. Give yourself to him. And then the Sadducees, those guys didn't believe in the resurrection. I can't make this up. I mean, it's unbelievable. They, I think they went to a seminary, right? They, they, they were taught how to misread the word of God. And so they said, we don't believe in the resurrection. And so we look at this passage, we think this is a marriage thing. It's not. Jesus is letting them know God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead, which then means that there's a life after this one. (laughs) Right? Because you're going to kill the owner of the vineyard if you think this is all there is, even if you recognize him, if this is all there is, I'll just take my chances. I'm going to live the way I want to live, and I'm going to get all I can in this life now. But if there's a life after this one, oh, I got I to gotta live a certain way, which means there's going to be accountability after this life, right? Next thing that we see is Jesus says to them, he says, look, you know what? These chief priests, these Pharisees, all these people, you know what they do? They devour the widows and the orphans. They take all that they have and they just consume it. They consume it. And then right after that story, you know what happens? That widow comes in and she's got two minas, I think, that add up to a penny. And she throws it into the offering. And Jesus has been watching all of the worship, right? All of the worship of God. He's been watching, and Jesus then says, you know what, I've seen people throw large amounts of cash into this offering plate. And they've given out of excess is what the deal is. It's a lot of money, but they have it. They've given out of their excess. But this widow comes in, and she gave out of her need. So, Ultimately, as Jesus is judging the people inside that temple, we know that he's very unpleased with the money changers. He's tossed them out. He's very unpleased with the chief priests, the people that run it. He's very unpleased with that. What we find is he's pleased with the woman who gives all that she has. 
And you know why that's all she has? Because the chief priests have devoured all that she has and many just like her. In fact, instead of the religion that God gave the Jews to help those who are in need, those who are the least of these, in fact, they got rich off of them instead of giving to them. The disciples are walking around. We're getting to our passage. The disciples are walking around and they say, wow, look at these buildings. Look at this temple. Look at the gifts. You should read that for yourself. That, that word is literally right there. Look at the gifts that they've given this, to this temple. And Jesus overhears them and he says, you know what? I know that's amazing, but not one stone is going to be left upon another. Because we know earlier in the book of Luke, Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, if you had only known when I showed up how to respond to me, things would have gone better for you. But now because Jesus has come to his house and he has found that his house is so far off target, they're only serving themselves. So now he tells them, here's what's going to happen, my disciples, my followers. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed because they have rejected me and my heavenly Father. If you reject me, you've rejected God, is what he would say. But Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, and it's not going to happen right away. You're going to have to pay attention to it. You'll have to pay attention to what's going on, to know what's going on, but trust me, all of everything that you see here is going to be leveled. It will be no more. This is why the temple doesn't exist anymore. Because Jesus said, this is the punishment for those who have access to God and have the word of God, but yet reject him like the chief priests were doing. So he says to his disciples, because when they hear that, they're like, well, when is the end of the world? He says, I'm going to tell you something. He said, the end is going to come and we're going to start picking up on that in verse 25. But you need to be aware of it because people are going to hate you. And because people hate you, because you're telling what I tell you to tell them, you're going to suffer. And I'm just going to pick up on it. And that's, the, that's how we set it up. And it's, verse 25 says this. I'm going to read to verse 36. It says, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and glory." When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. 
Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Let me show you something this morning. To be prepared for Christ's return, you must take heart when you see terrifying signs. I told you. To be true to what Scripture says, I've got to tell you the truth, right? We know that what Jesus is saying right here is that everyone is going to see terrifying signs, especially in space. That's really what the Greek text is saying. And what that means is, it's something that's not going to be missed. It's going to be a warning sign. In fact, what Jesus is talking about is what is called portent signs. In other words, these are signs of warning that it's very different from the signs that you and I imagine because when we read Scripture, we think of Jesus healing people. He's performing signs. He's feeding them. These are signs that were designed to demonstrate to the people that he is connected with God. God has come in the flesh so that they might believe but these signs are different. These signs are the signs that are giving warning to all the world. It's an interesting thing because it's almost to the point of what Revelation would tell us that a third of the stars are going to fall from the sky. In fact, there's going to be a time when the sun and the moon are actually impacted, but yet it still won't be the end, but this is your sign and so what Jesus is telling the disciples, if you're following me, the world at this point is surely hating you because we already know what's going to happen to the disciples. They're all going to be martyred. You all remember that, right? They're going to go out with the message of Jesus Christ and the world is going to rebel against them and they're all going to be martyred except John. So this right here, Jesus is telling us, those who follow him, it's present tense. What this means, it's continuous for those who follow him. If you're doing the Lord's will, you are going to experience difficult things. But don't worry, these terrifying signs aren't terrifying to you. Because you've been prepared. These terrifying signs are terrifying to those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. You can't go anywhere in America, I suspect, and truly find somebody who's never even heard the name of Jesus. God always has some... Have you ever noticed this on the national news? There's always something about God and Jesus Christ on the national news even whether they're talking against us or reminding that we're marking a holiday, whatever it is, 
Nobody is seriously ignorant of who Jesus is. But here's the deal. When the people are seeing the terrifying signs, you know what they're doing? Instead of repenting, they're fainting. And that word fainting means that they are actually fainting because of their fear or they're actually letting their last breath leave their bodies because they're so terrified. Does this even matter? Because you know, you and I, we serve this hipster Jesus, right? We don't, he doesn't care about anything that we do right or wrong. Isn't this what we tell people? Yet Jesus is saying there will be terrifying signs. In fact, the whole world sees it. And you know what? The way he's saying this, he's saying the whole world knows something's coming. Someone. Now, in our age, it might be we are all going to think it's aliens. But they know with what they are seeing in the heavens, something and someone is coming. But they're not going to repent. Because they've rejected him. Just like the chief priest did. Look at the next thing I want you to see. To be prepared for Christ's return, you must believe what you see. <laughs> well, we'll see now. It would be one thing if Jesus warned them, right? He said, look, you know, Jerusalem's going to be sacked. We know in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. The Romans came through, wiped them out. Wiped them out. Now, we, I know we tell everybody, God doesn't punish today. Well, he did then, didn't he? He did then. But if this would have been that Jesus said, you know something, this is going to happen Next week. Oh, they'd have paid attention, wouldn't they? But it took almost 40 years for this to actually to come pass, that this actually happened. So that tells me that it's going to be a struggle for each of us to believe what we see because, you know, we explain things away so easily in our society, don't we? We just kind of explain things away. We might experience something and the thought comes across our head, we, we're, or our mind, and we say, well, oh, I know why that happened, um, because of this or that, right? Uh, that makes sense. So then we are no longer afraid of what we see. But all the time, apparently, this is a warning that's being going up, and Jesus, because the disciples need to know this, what Jesus is doing is saying, look, because of all the suffering you're going to experience, apparently us too, this is actually good news. Believe what you see so that it will give you hope because then you're going to lift up your head because your redemption draws near. Well, you and I, we always hear we're saved, right? We're saved. Oh, we're good. We're good to go. But what Jesus is saying is you're being saved. Your full redemption is drawing near and other the rescue of Jesus Christ because of how bad the world hates his people, the rescue of Jesus Christ is coming near to win the day for his people. So those who are being prepared for his return, we're the ones who are actually saying, I know this world's falling apart, but I'm looking up and I know that he's about to come and we're going to be redeemed. Have you ever noticed the church no longer prays for the return of Jesus Christ? That's a sign. 
Because when you're under intense persecution and being mistreated just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to pray for Jesus Christ to come back. Right? And this is what Jesus is saying. Lift up your head. Be prepared. Lift up your head. Believe what you're seeing. You know what's happening. You're able to tell that the fig tree is getting some buds on it. You know spring is right around the corner. Just a few more weeks and the weather will be warm again, right? You don't have to be a scientist to know this. Everybody knows when spring is around the corner. So then everybody's going to know something's going on. Believe what you see. I'm going to say this morning that churches are empty this morning because people haven't believed what they've seen. (laughs) Because if they did, they'd probably be in each one of these churches. Look at the last thing you need to see. To be prepared for Christ's return, you must be able to come stand before Christ. Now, I knew when I wrote this, I said, you know what, somebody's going to be sitting out there and they're going to say, "Um, Pastor, we ain't going to be standing before Jesus. We're going to be kneeling, right? But that's true. But let me tell you something. When Jesus returns and he's standing amongst his people, the way I'm picturing this, because he said, pray that you'll be able to stand. Did you pick up on that? Pray that you'll be able to have the strength you know, to endure, to persevere, right? He says, I'm picturing at least what he said is that we're going to be standing with those who have rejected him. This may be family and friends that are close to you, right? Some people think God has done stuff to them because they've been skewed in their thinking and they have no forgiveness for God and they hate him because they think God hates them, so they're hating him back. They don't know they've been deceived or some just simply don't want to receive Christ. They want to have their life now. And if you know in the book of Luke, he says this about the rich man and uh, Lazarus. He's like, you know, rich man, remember, he had a great life on earth, but what happened? He didn't make it to heaven, did he? The poor man laid out there and suffered. And the dogs came to lick his wounds to give him relief from the sores he had on him. His life was nothing but suffering in this world. And then he went to heaven. Remember that? And Lazarus couldn't believe it. Or the rich man couldn't believe it. And he said, let me tell you. That's when Abraham told him, he said, you know something? You had your time. You had your time of comfort, but now it's Lazarus' time of comfort. He suffered while you ignored him. And you know why he was ignored? Did you pick up on what Jesus said? He said, you know what? People are going to be focused on carousing and drunkenness. And it's interesting, these Greek terms, they simply mean they're going to be focused on their headaches from their hangovers. They're going to be partying instead of focusing on being prepared for Jesus' return. In fact, the anxieties of this life means that they're going to be focused on getting their pockets full because that's what matters. After all, in this day, 
the day that Jesus is talking about, that's literally what is being demonstrated at the temple. The only thing that matters is that you're bringing in your gifts and you're adorning this building that you have money in your pocket. And Jesus is saying, did you hear what he said? That widow that's suffering right now, she's out of her real faith, really given to me. She is the one that you all should have looked at. Y'all didn't expect to hear this this morning, did you? What am I going to do? Hide it from you? But this is what Jesus is saying. The people will all know what's going on, but only the disciples he's warning, right? In other words, he's recognizing that for us to stand before him when he returns means that we're going to come out from among them. They're going to remain here, and I'm not talking about a rapture. Don't, I know that's code word. What I'm talking about is they're going to remain behind us when we come to be on the Lord's side because we have followed him while the world thought we were idiots and crazy for doing so. The world hated us, and we said, though we lost our jobs, though we lost our friends and we lost our family, we never wavered from following Jesus Christ. Though terrible things happened to us, we didn't let those things deter us. We put those things aside and we said, I'm going to follow Jesus because I recognize it's important for me to be prepared. I see what's going on. And I know that when he comes, we will live in a good world finally with good people and with our good God. You might be thinking this morning that these terrifying signs, you might be thinking that pastor is simply trying to coerce us into having a relationship with Jesus Christ. No, I'm not. I already know that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus right now, it's good chance you've already decided not to have a relationship with him. All I'm doing is I'm telling you that what Jesus said is we're going to see terrifying signs in the space. I find it interesting when I'm writing this message on Facebook, I, I follow NASA and they ask the question, is it possible for us to change the pathway of an asteroid? I hope not, right? Because God put everything in order. I would say all bets are off if we change the pathway of an asteroid. I'm just thinking out loud. Don't go home and say, that preacher said that they're going to change the pathway of an asteroid and that's our sign. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just making comment here. But there's terrifying things that will happen. Everybody will see it, but going to be, there's going to be a polarization that's going on and there are people who just simply don't want anything to do with Jesus. But if you suspect that you want to have something to do with Jesus, you better be prepared. Maybe you should learn to believe what you see. I mean, after all, all I hear about on the national news is the poll numbers. Have you all heard this? 
They're so low. And you know how America's judging their leadership? This will tell you something. Think about this with me. They are judging the leadership of this country by whether or not we have an amazing economy and we're able to fill our pockets up. We have no care for the immorality that's going on, but we're concerned about whether or not people are making money. Believe what you see, people. This is a problem. And this is what is being taught in churches too. You might be somebody this morning that thinks that, oh, I'm going to be able to stand before Jesus because I believe in him. Well, the people that rejected him by their actions believed in him too. The people who said, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to serve him and do anything he says, that's rejection. If you're doing that, you've got to seriously question whether or not you can stand before Jesus Christ. If you can't, this is the moment to turn it all around. That's why we come to church. We need to be reminded. If I'm getting off task, please, somebody get me back on task. If I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing because of what I know about Jesus, I'm responsible for what I neglect. I don't know where you are this morning, and I know this was a long one. But here's the thing, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would suggest you ask yourself why. I don't want you to just come blindly down here and then try to have, because you're scared, a relationship with Jesus. I mean, when I was a kid, that's what preachers would do, and I'd be like, I, I don't know, whatever I got, if you want me to dump water on my head, I'll dump it on my head. Just tell me what I got to do, Right? I remember a kid in school, he was telling how he's trying to prove that God was trying to, uh, that he's trying to prove God is real to the class. He's showing all these calculations on this board of why all of the sun and everything has to be placed where it's at because if it's off a degree or two, everything will burn up. All the kids, they didn't want to hear all that math. They were like scared to death and they said, just tell us 